Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we'll read verses 1 through 15. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Do you think that it is possible for God to improve upon something that He has established? Is it possible for God to do something and then later on improve upon what He did? Now, there's a logical philosophical argument that says... Because God is perfect, and because a perfect God only does perfect things, then what God does is perfect and therefore cannot be improved upon. That's a logical, philosophical argument. And it makes sense. After all, how could a perfect God make something that would be so inferior, even if it is great, that it would need to be improved upon later? From a logical, philosophical perspective, I think the answer would be no. It's not possible for God to improve upon something that he has already established. But get this. The writer of Hebrews says that God can. In fact, he goes on to say not only that God can, but that God did improve upon Something that God had established. So I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 9, and where the writer of Hebrews basically tells us that God has given us something new and improved, and therefore things are different now. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. 
But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In a matter of just a few days, Apple, the most valuable company in the history of Earth, will release the iPhone 5. At least that's what we think they'll call it. The iPhone 5. It will be purchased, if you want it, for $200, but because the iPhone comes with accessories that have never before been used on any previous iPhone or any other cell phone or smartphone, you'll have to buy the accessories to go with it. And if you do that, depending on the accessories you get, then the price will be somewhere between $235 and $400, again, depending upon your accessories. They already have a sign-up list of people who want the iPhone 5. Two days before the release date, people will be camped out. Long lines will start at the door of every Apple store and reach around malls, all the way up and down Manhattan's main streets, where where one of the biggest Apple stores in the country is. People will line up to get the iPhone 5. So what do you do? If you have an iPhone 4S, which was the last one that they released, and it's still a very good phone, what do you do? Apple says, you can keep that iPhone 4S. It'll be all right. However, there are things the iPhone 5 can do that even the iPhone 4S can't do. And there are speeds that you can reach with the iPhone 5 that even the iPhone 4S can't reach. The iPhone 5 is a new and improved model. Now, I'm not going to go out there and buy an iPhone 5, number one. And Matt and I have been having this war for the past uh, two years. I don't like iPhones. I opt for the Androids. Matt here has an iPhone. Can I borrow your iPhone? Matt occasionally will send me videos and pictures on this iPhone. I know it's very difficult to see because it's so small. (laughs) And I asked Matt, I said, Matt, why don't you do this? Why don't you send it to my phone so I can see it on the big screen? (laughs) And Matt will do that. But I've not been able to get any headway with Matt because he's an iPhone guy. He's probably one of those who will be standing in line at the Apple store to get the iPhone 5 because he believes that truly it is new and improved, and therefore worth paying the 200 to $400 for the phone and its accessories and the contract to go with it. It's new and improved. That is how Apple will get millions of people around the world to buy that phone. 
when it first comes out, even though the iPhone 4S is almost just as good as surely the iPhone 5 will be. In fact, the iPhone 3s are still good phones. But they will tell you it's new and improved. And a lot of people will be convinced. The writer of Hebrews is dealing with some folks who are Jewish Christians for the most part, and they are thinking seriously about abandoning their Christian faith, their simple Christian faith, and going back to their old Jewish faith with its priests and its sacrifices and its rituals. And you eat this food, don't eat that food, walk this many steps on the Sabbath day, but don't walk anymore because it'll, it'll be considered work. Certain things you can't do, certain things you can do, you got to watch your step. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, look, that was the old way of doing things. And it was a way that God established for those people then. But God in Christ Jesus has brought to you something that is new and improved. As hard as it is to believe that God could possibly improve upon what God has done in the past, at least the writer of Hebrews says, God indeed has done just that. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 13, he even makes this astounding statement. He says, by calling this covenant, this new one, new, God has made the first one, the old one, obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated, he says, will soon disappear. It's like the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, you need the new and improved product because the old one is no longer being made and will soon become obsolete and disappear. You need the new product. You need what's new and improved and coming straight out of uh, God out of heaven in these last days. Now, there's some things he says about this new and improved way of doing things that God is offering them and is still offering us and will offer us until, until the end of earthly time, earthly existence. But the advertisement for this new and improved product might include some statements such as these. Here's what the advertisement might include for this new and improved product. First of all, they might say, that in this new product, God has gone mobile. God has gone mobile. Do you remember when Moses first led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the desert, the Sinai desert, the Arabian desert? He went up on the mountain of God and God gave him the Ten Commandments and he gave him the instructions for the tabernacle. Moses comes down with these stone tablets. The people are sinning. They've, they've taken all their jewelry, melted it down, and come out with a golden calf that they're now worshiping. He throws the tablets down and breaks them on the ground just beside the golden calf. He reprimands the people. And then God sends him back up on the mountain for another 40-day venture with God. And God gives him a brand new and second set of the tablets. And he comes back down. Again, on the tablets, you have the Ten Commandments, but you also have the uh, rest of the law, and you have the instructions concerning the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, is a word that really means tent. Until the children of Israel got into the Promised Land and set up their capital in Jerusalem so that they could build the temple where sacrifices would be made, until that time, they would make sacrifices in this tent called the tabernacle. And although the tabernacle could be taken down and moved, 
Whenever it was set up, it was the only place where you could make a sacrifice according to God's Word. You couldn't go down in the woods and make one. You couldn't go up on some old mountain and make a sacrifice. You couldn't do it right before Sunday dinner at your house or your tent. You had to go to the tabernacle. It was the stationary place where sacrifices were made. Later on, when the children of Israel got into the promised land, they established Jerusalem as their capital and they built the temple. Then all the sacrifices were conducted in the temple. Nowhere else. Now, there were synagogues where people worshipped and they had Bible study all over the Holy Land, but you did not have sacrifices in those synagogues. If anybody wanted to make a sacrifice, if anybody wanted to go to the priest... For the priest to make a sacrifice for their sins, they had to make a a travel down to Jerusalem to have those sacrifices made in the temple. It was a stationary place. But in this new way of doing things, God has made your body His temple. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians who were really uh, committing some uh, major immoralities, he told them, he says, do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own? You see, you are a temple of God. And the Holy Spirit, when you receive Christ as your Savior, comes into your life, into your heart and soul to live and dwell. And so now you don't have to travel to Jerusalem. Aren't you glad we don't have to travel to Jerusalem to get sat and make sacrifices for our sins, we can do it because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's uh, presence lives in us and we can, wherever we are, if we're in the restaurant, if we're kneeling beside our bed, if we're at the dinner table or if we're watching TV or if we're out in the woods just walking around thinking about God, wherever we may be, we can there offer worship and prayers and spiritual sacrifices to God. In this new and improved way of doing things, God has gone from stationary to mobile. The advertisement might even say this. Not only has God gone mobile, but God has become more real. I follow, uh, whenever I was in uh, Georgia studying journalism, one of the things that we took was an advertising class. And they gave us the history of advertising. And one of the companies they focused on was Coca-Cola. When Coca-Cola first started as a business and started selling Coke as a beverage and started making a lot of money, they hired a marketing firm. And this marketing firm went out and did surveys door to door asking people, what are you looking for in life? They didn't say that they were from Coke. They just went around asking people, what are you looking for in life? And periodically, this marketing firm and marketing firms who succeeded them would go out, do surveys, find out what people want. They'd come back, they'd tell Coke this, and Coke would develop a marketing strategy that basically said what you're looking for, and they would identify it, what the people said, is Coke. And so you remember a few decades ago, people started getting tired of fake. 
You had politicians telling us one thing back in the 60s about a war when actually something totally different was going on. You had uh, people who claimed to be one thing in, in public when they were totally something different in private. And so what you had was a, a, a growingly cynical public of political and famous figures because we looked at them and we saw that they were presenting themselves as one thing when in private they were something else and we were looking for something that was real. And people told the marketing firm of Coca-Cola that very thing. We're looking for people who are real. We're looking for things that are real. And I'll tell you folks, the world, especially the unchurched world today, is still looking for churches who are real. They're tired of our fake and our superficiality. They want to know that we're real because if they can see that we're real, they will know that Jesus is real. And so they came out with Coke. It's the real thing. And they did that with all of their different slogans. Well, in the Old Testament, when you, when you went to looking at the tabernacle and then later, later the temple, everything that was in that tabernacle and the temple was symbolic. If you went into the tabernacle, the first room of the tabernacle was known as the holy place. In the holy place, there was a, a lampstand. John's gospel, in John's gospel, Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. The lampstand pointed to Christ. The holy place also contained a table on which there was what was called showbread or consecrated bread. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you went into the holy place, on the back of the holy place, there was this large curtain. And the curtain kept you from going into the next room, which was the most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies. But the curtain kept everybody else from going in there. Only the high priest could go behind that curtain, and he could only go one time a year. And so if you go into the tabernacle, you see this lampstand, you see the table with bread on it, you see this huge curtain, and it says basically, keep out, unless you're the high priest. And if you're the high priest, only one time a year. But the Gospels tell us, that when Jesus was crucified, the moment that he gave up his spirit, the moment that he died, the curtain in the temple was ripped into and pulled apart. In other words, in Jesus, now we have access. Even the curtain pointed to Jesus. Now, if you go in the tabernacle and you go through the, the holy place and you go behind that curtain, if you were to go behind it, there was the most holy place, the holy of holies. It contained a golden altar. And that altar had cherubs or cherubim. They were angelic-looking, angel-looking beings carved that came up over, <clears throat> over the ark and protected the ark. If you were to open up the Ark of the Covenant, you'd find three things. First of all, there'd be the stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written. There was the, the staff, the cane that Aaron, Moses' brother, used that, that budded even though it wasn't planted. And there was a sample of the manna that God rained upon the children of Israel in the desert that sustained them nutritiously. And those three things are in that Ark of the Covenant. And all of them point toward Jesus. 
The ark points toward his sacrifice. The angels watching over and protecting the ark represent the security that we have in Christ. The tablets represent the fact that Jesus is the word that became flesh. The uh, staff that budded is abundant life that cannot be explained. John said, or Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. In other words, God sent Jesus to give us super abundant life. The staff represents that. The manna represents the fact that day by day God sustains us. He will give us what we need daily to handle life's crises and life's triumphs. So God has, has gone from the Old Testament way of things where there's symbols that are not real, they point to something real, to Jesus came, and now you don't have to worry about the symbols because you have what is real. You have Jesus. You don't have the symbol that points toward Jesus. You have Jesus to whom the symbols pointed. So God, in this new and improved way of doing things, has not only gone mobile, but he's become more real as opposed to symbolic. It might also say, the advertisement might also say that God is into efficiency. God is into efficiency. In the Old Testament, you had the high priest. He was the go-between between the people and God. He was the one who would offer up the sacrifices first for himself and then on behalf of the people. He had some disadvantages that I pointed out over the last two weeks. One, he was imperfect. He committed sins himself and had to make sacrifices for them. Second, he was susceptible to death. And so all of these things meant that he had to make regular sacrifices for himself and then continual sacrifices for the people. It wasn't a deal where he went one time to make a sacrifice and once did it. He had to make them periodically, over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 6, he says, when everything had been arranged like this in the tabernacle, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year. But he had to do it over and over again every single year. It uh, was an inefficient way of doing things mainly because it simply covered sin, it didn't remove sin. That was the old way. Under the new and improved way, Jesus comes and he does not make continuous sacrifices. He made a one-time-for-all sacrifice on the cross when he was crucified. He was the perfect, not imperfect, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and therefore he is our high priest who doesn't have to go into the holy place uh, just once a year or over and over again, but he stays there even though he's already made all the sacrifice that we would need for him to make. Well, that's efficient. He doesn't have to do it over and over again, and it doesn't just cover sin, which would be inefficient, but he's efficient. He sacrificed himself once for all, and he doesn't have to do it again and it totally forgives our sins. It doesn't cover them, it removes them. That's efficiency. God is into efficiency in this new and improved way. And then finally, in this new and improved way, God made a personal investment. God made a personal investment. You see, in the Old Testament, 
you had the blood of goats and lambs. The lamb would be killed. The blood would be sprinkled on the altar first for the priest's sins and then for the sins of the people. It covered their sin. But it was always the blood of an animal. It was a terrible way of doing things. It was, it was cruel, really, to these animals. But in the new way, there are no more lambs, at least not the animal lambs. And there are no more goats. Because Jesus himself, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he gave himself once for all on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice. In other words, as Paul said to the Colossians, God, when Jesus was crucified, here's what happened. God was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world back to God. And so what we had is that God, rather than than relying on all this old way of animals, he gives his own son, who was the son of God, but more than that, he was God himself. God made a personal investment. This is a new and improved way. The old way, you sacrifice animals, lambs and goats. The new way, God sacrificed himself. He made a personal investment himself into your salvation. Can a perfect God come up with something that is new and improved over what God has come up with before? Although I don't fully understand it, I think the answer must be yes. Because I think that the writer of Hebrews has convinced us that what God did in Christ was an improvement over what God did through the priest in the Old Testament. And so what that means for you and me is that God in these days has given you and me his absolute best. Salvation is no longer by sacrificing a goat, even though really it wasn't even that then. Forgiveness of sins has nothing to do with killing an animal. God has already taken care of that for us. Our role is to receive as a gift what God has done. That's a better way. That's a new and improved way that God is doing things. Now, here's the question for you as I close. Is it the way you're doing things? Have you adopted this new and improved way? Have you adopted the way of Jesus? And that's a question only you can answer. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for this new and improved way. And really, in your mind, the infinite mind of our God... This plan was really just part of your plan all along. It's really kind of another phase of the plan that you had all along. For Lord, you set up the Old Testament way of life to show us that we can't live the godly life in our own power. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We're not strong enough. 
we're not good enough. We simply just can't do it. And that's what it was about. It was to show us that we couldn't. That salvation through all history has been by grace. And so, Lord, we thank you for the way of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have offered to us as a free gift the way of eternal life. Lord, we go into this invitation right now. Somebody needs to come and invite you to be their Savior. Somebody needs to come and join this church for baptism. Somebody needs to transfer their letter here. Somebody needs to come to the altar with a prayer concern. Somebody needs to bring their problems to this place of prayer. Somebody needs to bring their praises to this place of prayer. God, I pray that beginning now, life change from God in heaven will begin for somebody. In Jesus' name, amen.